You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in your Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, uh, look on your device or in your table of contents, or uh, it will be up here on the screen for you this morning. Um, Today we are finishing uh, our series called What If, uh, and I'm excited to walk through a little bit of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. And the next week we're jumping back in to finish up Romans, which we started uh, last year. And so please come back. I promise you uh, that Romans is going to be an encouragement and a blessing uh, to you and your soul as we finish that out. Uh, But for today, we are in Ecclesiastes and we are talking about uh, friendship. Everybody say friendship. Friendship, really big idea. I think it's timely in our culture uh, that we talk about this, and I honestly haven't heard uh, in my life just a whole lot of sermons dealing with the idea of friendship, although it's a fairly uh, monumental idea in uh, the Scriptures and obviously in our lives. Uh, If you start reading the Bible uh, just on page one, uh, you're going to find out really quickly the very first thing that was not good in all of creation When God creates Adam and he puts him in the garden and he looks down and everything seemed right, he's like, ah, this is not uh, how it's supposed to go. Uh, The first thing that was bad was not sin, uh, was not evil, was not pain, was not brokenness. What was it? Loneliness. That was the first thing when God looked down and he saw Adam. He says, it is not good uh, that man should be alone uh, or that man, humankind, should be uh, lonely. It's bad for humans. Solitude has its place. Uh, we all need moments of solitude, and that's good. But loneliness is a very uh, different thing. Uh, loneliness, uh, uh, it's not just bad for humans. It's um, kind of an epidemic in, uh, in the United States at the moment. Uh, so over the years, really over the, the centuries and the millennium, science and psychology and just kind of looking around at people and, and reality, it's, it, it always catches up to the reality of what the Bible talks about. Uh, and so in our modern day, psychologists and science, they're catching up to the idea that it's just not good for people to be lonely. Uh, I, I'm going to reference a few things that I actually referenced two years ago. Uh, I preached a sermon back in uh, January, uh, the end of January, early February of 2020, uh, talking about this. And so all of the stats that I'm going to share and the things that I'm going to share are pre-COVID stats. Uh, and most of what I'm reading says that some of the challenges that we're facing are much more uh, prominent today than they were uh, when we shared some of these things. So I, I talked about this study that UCLA did. Um, they have a, an organization there called the Brain Mapping Center, and they use a tool called the fMRI or the functional MRI. And this is what they said after all their studies, and I quote, uh, using tools like the functional MRI, we have made startling discoveries of how the human brain responds to the social world. And these findings repeatedly reinforce the conclusion that our brains are wired to connect with other people. They say, quote, we are social communal beings. If you basically sum this up, they came to the startling conclusion that what? It is not good for man to be alone. Right? And I appreciate the effort, I appreciate the money that's put into that that kind of just reinforces that God knows exactly what he's talking about, uh, something unique that you need to know, especially if you're, in a par- if you're a parent. How many parents in the room? 
This study says that um, the region of the brain that is activated uh, when we experience loneliness or rejection is the same exact region of the brain um, that registers pain when you step on a Lego, okay? So now you feel like internally the the desperate uh, nature of loneliness. It's the same thing for when you walk through the uh, living room in the dark and you step on the Legos. All that to say, like a, a lot of information from the scientific community, from the psychological community, from counsel would say uh, it is not a good thing for us to not have healthy relationships, to not have friends, for us to be alone. Uh, Really, the reason I think this is a timely message uh, are, are two things. One, friendships or friends are a huge blessing and loneliness is a huge problem. Maybe not for you, but just generally speaking, if we're trying to think what would be very helpful for us to understand from the heart of God uh, is to know that friends are a huge blessing, uh, but in our moment in time, loneliness is a huge problem. There's a a Presbyterian pastor that I was made aware of named uh, Donald McCullough uh, that uh, wrote a few books years ago, uh, and he wrote something that I think just hits the nail on the head. He says this, when we consider the blessings of God, the gifts that add beauty and joy to our lives, that enable us to keep going through stretches of boredom and even suffering. He says, friendship is very near the top. Uh, My story would be that way. I could show you a lot of friendships that have just been an unbelievable blessing in my life, helped me navigate difficult times, uh, been an encouragement to me. And uh, it's just, it's it's a huge blessing to have good, deep gospel friends, but loneliness in our day and age is a huge problem. Uh, Let me share a few stats for you. And again, these are 2020 stats, uh, so my guess is that these are somewhat exacerbated uh, these last 24 months. Uh, Can y'all believe we're 24 months into 14 days to flatten the curve? Like, we're almost there. The Surgeon General of the United States called loneliness an epidemic. It's reached what has blipped on their radar as epidemic uh, proportions, Um, despite uh, kind of the misnomer of social media, which turns out is not that social, that the more uh, friends you have on social media, sometimes there's uh, an inverse relationship to actually uh, lower numbers of actual flesh and blood human friends. Um, One in five Americans in 2020 said they, quote, feel always or often lonely which God says is not good. It's not good for us to be alone. Uh, 25%, one in four uh, Americans say that they have zero friends that they can confide confide deep things in. Uh, It's affecting Americans' health. I've shared these stats before. Um, But loneliness has the same effect on mortality uh, that smoking 15 cigarettes a day does. Uh, Loneliness in the United States is killing more people. The effects of it is killing more people uh, today than uh, obesity. Uh, have shown that the older you get, uh, it becomes incredibly important to have friends, and those who are older that have friendships are much healthier than those who are older who uh, don't. Um, Those without friends who are uh, in, in their later stages of life and are lonely are much more prone, the studies say, to heart disease, to diabetes, and to uh, depression and the effects of those things. Uh, We've got three different counselors on staff here at Redeemer, uh, and I've talked to 
uh, just a little bit uh, and kind of pulling some information, uh, and I've heard from uh, a few of them that uh, this is a, it's a problem in Midland. It's a problem when they've got people that are coming and uh, just have these challenges and these things that they're walking through, and uh, many people are walking through things alone. Friendships are a huge blessing, but loneliness is a huge problem. Uh, to my estimation, the average American, if the stats are right, and right, you know, 86% of stats are made up on the spot, uh, but they're still helpful. Uh, if the stats are correct, the average American has more credit cards than they do real friends. And the Bible would say, God would say that there's, it's just not good for man to be alone. Uh, we're in uh, kind of the tail end of what I believe is a m- monumental shift in just the, the foundational Uh, elements of our culture. Uh, For 60 or 70 years, really since the 50s and 60s, there was kind of a cultural revolution that we've all been uh, caught up in, and it's moved and changed and morphed the culture that we live in. Uh, We have moved very, very quickly from a religious society uh, to a secular society, uh, from a theistic society where, uh, you know, all the Americans uh, from previous generations didn't all worship the God of the Bible, uh, but for the most part, uh, our culture was a theistic culture that, that we believe there was a God, and we've moved very quickly to an atheistic culture uh, that permeates the government, it permeates the public uh, education system, it permeates Hollywood, it permeates everything, that uh, we're no longer a theistic uh, bedrock of a nation, it's atheistic, that's been a dramatic shift. Uh, with that shift, there was a shift from a, a communal living or a big focus on family and relationships to a very individualistic uh, mindset, uh, that it's much more about me and mine and myself than it is about the good of the whole uh, or the family or the community. Uh, And uh, historians and philosophers that I've read would all agree that there is a cost to moving to this kind of atheistic individualism, and they say the cost of that movement has been loneliness. That when you throw off a theistic uh, reality and you throw off this idea that we exist uh, for relationships, uh, you get this kind of atheistic individualism that breeds um, loneliness. So it's really, if you start thinking about it, it's no surprise that we're lonely because um, this is the culture that we have been uh, grown up in. And I haven't, again, again, I haven't heard just a whole lot of sermons on friendships, and I think that that's a little bit unfortunate because it is one of the greatest gifts of God. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about friendships, and it was actually important enough that Jesus himself had friends. Right? Jesus needed friends. The God of the universe uh, leaned on some close friends, and they, uh, they let him down, obviously, but still, Jesus himself needed friends. So uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I'll give you a little bit of background on the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, written by Solomon, uh, who is widely regarded as the wisest man that has ever lived, uh, next to Jesus himself. And he, he had all the resources. Not only was he wise, he was uh, unbelievably wealthy. And so he had the ability to chase everything that he thought might give him some type of meaning. And, uh, you know, some of us, we're we're limited to what we can chase based on resources, right? Like, I still think if I own my own all-inclusive resort on the edge of Midland, I'd be a little more happy. But... I don't have enough resources to pull it off, so I'm left to wonder maybe what if, right? Uh, He didn't have that problem. If he could dream it, he could buy it, he could build it. And Ecclesiastes is the wisest man with the most resource getting to the end of his life 
and looking back and reflecting on what he has learned, what the true meaning of life is, uh, what he witnessed through other people in his culture. Uh, And there's a few things if you read this book. And honestly, Ecclesiastes is is one of my favorite books. It is so profound, uh, so timely. When you read it, you think, man, he was writing like two the culture that we live in right now, it's so timely and so helpful. He obviously would sum up the entire existence of man in this book by saying that the reason we're here is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Uh, he talks about the meaning of life. He talks about what's, uh, what's vanity, what's uh, worthless, what's uh, chasing after the wind. And he talks a surprising amount about friendship. Uh, I, I think as he's looking back on life and you read through Ecclesiastes, you almost feel this regret that he has that he wished he would have lived his life uh, much more simply in view of God's commands and in view of relationships of others. So that's the background to uh, Ecclesiastes. So if you're there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, say ready. We're going to start in verse 7. And he's really answering the question, what does Ecclesiastes have to say about uh, living in a time when loneliness uh, is an epidemic? Ecclesiastes 4, 7 says this, again, Solomon says, I saw vanity under the sun. He said, I, I witnessed this um, throughout my life and I realized it was vanity, it was, it, was, it was hollow. And then he explains this situation that probably he saw multiple times. Uh, one person who has no other. Maybe he has a person in his mind. Maybe he just has this kind of prototype that he keeps seeing. But he, he says, this is just kind of vanity. One person who has no other, all alone, doesn't have a son or a brother, no family, no friends. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is a 3,000-year-old book, and basically what he's saying, he's like, I knew a guy one time that worked so hard uh, that he was so focused, and yet he was isolated from other people, didn't have any friends, could afford all the toys, but didn't have anybody to enjoy them with. I'm telling you, it's it's a very timely book, and he witnesses that. He's like, man, uh, if I were to rephrase those few verses uh, a few different ways, he would be saying, like, what's the point of life if you just uh, work so hard to amass a lot of things and money but don't have relationships and friendships to enjoy those things with? Or maybe he would rephrase it and say this, be careful um, that you don't get rich and miss people along the way. So what is his wisdom? Verse 9. Two are better than one. Now, chances are, if you've been around church or the Bible much, you've heard uh, these next few verses that we're going to look at. Um, But Solomon, in his wisdom, he says, two are better than one. One is good, two is better. Two is better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him. This is a, a, a shout back to Genesis chapter 3, but woe to him or her who is alone. And if the truly, the statistics that we're reading is most Americans, or many Americans are alone. God says that's not good. Solomon says, woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. 
But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, Solomon does not use the word friend or friendships here, but I think that's exactly what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about relationships and friendships, that two are better than one, that life is better, and God's designed us to be uh, relational people that have deep friendships. Uh, the, the church, which was Jesus' plan um, to help individual Christians survive and thrive in the world, is, it, it's, it's very relational. Okay, and if we live in a culture that we just talked about, it has moved from this really deep understanding of communal living to an individualistic living. That kind of belief has infiltrated the church where a lot of people just kind of equate uh, an event with a church and not really uh, what, what was in Jesus' mind, that the church is built on relationships. The church is a, a family uh, full of relationships that help us navigate and thrive in life. Uh, if you start reading through and looking through the book of Acts, uh, that is the birth of the New Testament church, um, th- then you kind of see what I think is three different elements of Christian living. You see the church uh, gathered together uh, on the Sabbath to worship. We call this at Redeemer the worship service, much like uh, what you're in right now. Um, so in the New Testament, Christians, they would gather together. Uh, and in Jerusalem, the first church, it was thousands and thousands of people. There were 3,000 people saved on day one, and it grew very quickly. So one element was the church that was just the entire family in that city that belonged to Jesus uh, would come together and worship and sing and pray uh, and sit under the apostles teaching Jesus' words. Um, But then you find out that there was a second element that had to do with small groups uh, where they met together. This is Acts chapter 2, in each other's homes. Obviously, 5,000 people didn't go to Peter's home, um, so they're broken up into small groups. At Redeemer, we call these community groups uh, where we live in community with one another in small groups. Um, But then you find out that... Below the, the massive gathering of God's people, worship service, you've got small groups that we call community groups. Then you have uh, gospel friendships that are just relationships um, that encourage uh, Christians uh, towards faithfulness and fruitfulness in Christ. Uh, at Redeemer, we often refer to these as fight clubs. Uh, and sometimes I think if we say fight clubs, I don't want to raise the bar so high that uh, it sounds like it's very intimidating um, because basically what a fight club is, it's a very purposeful friendship. Uh, it's, you know, you're friends with somebody and you're both trying to follow Jesus, so you're very intentional about, uh, about the way that you use that friendship. And so I want to walk through a few things, and leaning especially on Solomon's words in Proverbs, uh, not in Ecclesiastes, and a little bit from uh, the book of James, uh, as we just kind of ask the question, what if? Uh, What if we are a church and a culture and we're individuals um, that really pursue friendships very purposefully? Uh, What might happen? What might change in our lives? What might change in our church? What might change in our city? I think it's fair to say the older we get, the more difficult it is to make friends. I don't know, some of you went to college, many of you maybe didn't, but in college or when you're college age, oftentimes you could become best friends with somebody very quickly. Uh, and a lot of, there's a lot of things at play there, and I want to tease a few of these out before we jump into Proverbs. Um, the older we get, uh, sometimes the less time we have, and good, deep, solid uh, gospel friendships, they take a little bit of time. So the older we get, uh, oftentimes the less free time we have. But what we're seeing in our culture is the older we get, the more we're using our time for work and for 
screens. A lot of stuff I've read that's just saying that if you have free time, instead of using it to make friends, what we're doing is we're using it to work hard, which uh, Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes 4. It's like, don't do that. (laughs) Don't labor your entire life away just for work and miss the people that God has tried to bless you with. Uh, Or let screens take up the, uh, uh, the amount of time that could be used to build friendships. Uh, video games, social media, uh, binging Netflix, whatever it might be, those aren't bad things, but if all of a sudden uh, those have replaced friendships, it's not good uh, for us to be alone. And then over time, the older we get, chances are there's some type of scar uh, or baggage or or challenges that we've had where we uh, put ourselves out there. Uh, We wanted to uh, have a friendship and we made ourselves vulnerable and they hurt us. And uh, so we carry that with us. And so over time, we can... uh, tend to not want to put ourselves out there as much uh, and maybe just kind of settle for uh, some friends that we hold at arm's length because we don't want to get into the mess. I, I think it's, it's important for us to realize that over time, we're going to need to work harder for good gospel friendships. And so I'm going to be in uh, Proverbs. You can go ahead and get your, get your finger there in Proverbs, and I'll be uh, looking at a couple different uh, chapters, mainly is chapters uh, 17 and 27. Um, but if you read through Proverbs, which is, again, Solomon giving some wisdom that has been helpful for God's people for uh, centuries, you know, many people use Proverbs and read one a day for their entire life, and they're wiser people. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting when you start reading Proverbs and you see how important uh, friendship is towards living a wise life. So this is what I want to pose, just the question of what would it look like if... Okay, I, now maybe you've got solid friends, maybe you've got just incredibly deep friendships. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, nobody in the room does. Uh, I'm just posing the question, what if uh, we grow? So if you have some friends, what if those friendships grow deeper? If that's you, say, I'm just kind of alone, I'm kind of lonely, I've got some people that I know, but I wouldn't call them deep friends. Uh, what would happen uh, if we had a deep culture at Redeemer of gospel friendships. A few things. Let's explore uh, some of the blessings that God has woven into uh, our potential in friendships. Number one, what if you had a friend during difficult or discouraging seasons? Now that sounds very basic, but the average American says that they don't. That when they have a moment of stress or crisis or, or, or difficulty, they don't have someone that they can lean on. And so we end up walking through very difficult times uh, alone. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Which, and a lot of times in Proverbs, it'll use the terms friend and brother or sister interchangeably. So he's like saying, like a good friend loves at all times in the good and the bad, and a good friend, a brother, is born for adversity. Like the reason that you have these friends is so that you have someone to walk through uh, the difficult seasons with. Uh, just like you, I have walked through some very difficult and adverse seasons in life, uh, some relationally, some with health with our children. Uh, and I can tell you this, it has been such a blessing to have incredible gospel friends to walk with you and woe to him, as Ecclesiastes 4 says, that is alone. Because you're going to have difficult seasons in life 
There's going to be seasons when uh, it's very difficult to keep moving forward. You're discouraged, you're distressed, you're depressed. And one of God's graces is to have a deep friend that's born for adversity. It's actually uh, geared up for seasons like that. What if everyone at Redeemer had such a stout friendship that when the difficulties hit, they had someone that would not let them give up, someone that would keep encouraging them, keep reminding them of the gospel, keep uh, putting life back into their soul when the world has sucked it out? What would be different when you're going through incredibly difficult marriage seasons and you have a friend to lean on, you've got uh, your business is falling apart, you're dealing with uh, some type of addiction, there's just a difficult season. God has designed it so that we would have friends uh, to lean on. Number two, what if? What if you had someone to sharpen you, okay? What if you had someone to sharpen you? Proverbs 27, uh, verse 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, or many versions say, so a friend uh, sharpens another. How many of you are getting dull? <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> You're like, I got a friend that's pretty dull. Uh, I got a coworker maybe that's a little dull. Like the, the idea here is like the, this knife, and how, how do you sharpen a knife if it's made of iron? You have to rub it against some other type of iron, and then they'll sharpen each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another, that if we don't have some good gospel friendships in our lives, we're just going inevitably to get dull. And the only way to keep sharp is to keep uh, this deep friendship where Jesus at the, is at the center. Uh, if you want to stay sharp, you're going to need a good, solid uh, friend. Because as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman sharpens another. What if you had someone in your life that you met with constantly, that uh, you were praying with, you were studying with, you were memorizing with, you were encouraging one another? Uh, what, what this is saying is that it's just, it's inevitable that you're going to sharpen each other. You're going to be better friends. You're going to be better employers. You're going to be better employees. You're going to be better husbands and wives and kids and parents. Uh, you're going to be sharper as a disciple uh, because one of the sharpening tools God has given us is friendships. What if? What if we all had a friend that was willing to sharpen us? Number three, uh, what if you had a friend who could tell you the truth? Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. And profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, and other places in Proverbs, it talks about actually having a friend that's, uh, that, that's close enough and that loves you enough to tell you the truth. Uh, many of us don't have this. Like we have people that will tell us nice things and tell us the truth when it's fun. Uh, but maybe not somebody close enough that loves you enough to tell you the truth when things are not fun. Uh, it turns out that a friend that loves you enough to tell you the truth when it's not fun is incredibly helpful. And we don't like it because it's not as fun, is it? Like we like the friend that tells us when everything is good, but the friend that will tell us the things that are difficult to hear, th 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 that's the ones that we probably resist the most and yet need the most. What if we had a friend that could tell us the truth? Uh, sometimes... That, that, that truth comes by way of uh, giving us something that, some piece of information that we didn't know. Uh, most of the time, they, they tell us something that deep down we already knew, but we need a friend that we love enough to tell us the truth. 
This is saying it's better to have someone that you love that tells you the truth than someone that's just going to blow smoke, right? Number four, what if? What if you had a friend who could give you wise counsel? Proverbs 27 verse 9 says this, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So like what, what's sweet from friendship is that they give earnest or heartfelt or true and helpful counsel. Now, again, sometimes that counsel, if you have a good gospel friend and you sit down and you say, I don't know what to do in this situation. Uh, you're my friend. Give me some wise and earnest counsel. Sometimes they'll tell you something that's just, it's helpful. It's mind-blowing. You didn't think of it. Most of the time, what they're going to do is tell you something that you already knew, but you needed somebody else to tell you, like, don't do that, that's a dumb decision, that, that's foolish, or do do that, that's, that's wise. That normally, what, what a good friend with wise counsel is doing is affirming what the Holy Spirit is already telling us inside, but you need someone that's going to be honest to give you wise counsel. I could probably run through quite a few different things that uh, were foolish decisions that I made in life that if I had a friend that I invited in would have kept me from doing some fairly dumb things. Uh, A lot of the things that we do dumb, we do what? On our own. We do a lot of dumb things on our own. When we invite some friends in, there tends to be some wise, earnest counsel uh, that keeps us on a track of wisdom. Number five, uh, what if uh, you had a friend that you could confess to, confess sin to? I'm reading here from James chapter 5, uh, which we preached years ago, and many people uh, would say James is actually the New Testament Proverbs. Uh, just gives a lot of very practical wisdom for life from Jesus' little brother James. And this is what James says in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. How many of you are already like, nope. Not going to do that. Uh, I could do a lot of things, but I'm not telling someone when I mess up. I'm not telling someone when I sin. Uh, he says some pretty powerful things. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what's the word? Healed. Some of you are carrying some, some pain and some scars and some brokenness uh, because of sin that you've committed, and you've never told anybody. It doesn't say confess your sins to one another so that you might be forgiven. God forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. But confession inside of friendships has a powerful way to bring healing. I think it has a powerful way to break some chains uh, of sin and and, and, and these sin ruts that we can get into. Because we know this, the power of sin is in the dark and it's in the secret. Okay, if you have a sin that you're struggling with right now, I can almost guarantee you to the extent that nobody else knows about it, that's the extent that you're going to continue to struggle with it. Because the power of sin is in the dark. It's like mold. It grows in the dark. The power of sin is in the secrecy. And the moment that we let light shine in, it just kind of loses its power. And how do you let light in? Confess sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There is an incredible cost to having sin in your life and being alone. 
Like we all know we're, we're broken, sinful people, and we're going to have moments that we fail and that we sin. But woe to him who is lonely and alone and doesn't have friendships when that happens. Now, why is it so difficult for us um, to share sins with someone, to confess sins to someone? One, I think it's maybe we don't have a friend that's close enough to do that. But two, obviously, uh, we have this very deep and strong sense of pride that we don't want uh, someone else to know that we're not perfect. Um, Can I be honest? Nobody thinks you're perfect. (laughs) You're not going to shock anyone. They're like, I thought you were the Messiah. (laughs) You're, you're, You're broken and you're sinful. Like there's all these dumb reasons that we have for not being open and honest when James is like, listen, you want some healing in your life. You need a friend that's close enough for you to confess your sins to because if you don't, it's going to eat your lunch. It's going to dominate you. The power of sin is in the dark. Confession brings light that breaks the chains. So it's not that confession of sin to another person forgives you. Jesus forgives. It breaks this this cycle and this power, and it brings a type of healing that just doesn't come unless you confess your sin. Now, do I think you should confess your sin to everyone? No. (laughs) Probably not a good idea, but you need to have someone. There needs to be some. What if everyone at Redeemer had a good gospel friend, deep enough that we could share uh, those moments when we fail, when we mess up, when we sin, and we had a friend close enough to confess, uh, to pray for one another, to find healing. I want to walk through a few things just to to give some wheels to this, honestly, to give some uh, practical application for a a step forward in uh, these good gospel friends. If Solomon says that uh, it's not good for us, God says it's not good to be alone, he says, woe to him who is alone, Um, then what are some some steps that we can take? Um, Number one, I just want to encourage you with these three things that the church uh, has been designed to offer. large gathering like we have today. It's, uh, it's a time to come and to worship, uh, to meet people, to connect, to be uh, filled up with God's word, to be uh, pointed towards Jesus as we sing, um, but then also to get connected to a community group. Uh, so, so many of you are brand new to town. Uh, maybe you've been here for a year or two, uh, haven't connected with someone, have no family in town. A great way to find some people that you can have a gospel friendship with is through joining a community group. And guess what? Good news. We've got a Next Steps class tonight at 5 o'clock. You can come. We'll get you connected to a small group. Um, the Church of Jesus has been doing this for hundreds of years. It's a proven method, right? You worship together, you get together in small groups, and then I want to encourage you towards what we call fight clubs. Um, Really, this is a purposeful friendship. We've talked about this often, but we want to keep laying it before you um, because I think it's very valuable uh, for our growth in Christ. Uh, To have uh, friendships or relationships that we uh, can be open and can be honest with. at Redeemer, what that looks like is you just finding one or two people and, and asking them um, to join you as friends on this journey. Do y'all remember how easy it was in elementary school? Like when you were six years old, what did you do? You went to school, you walked up to some kid, and you're like, hey, will you be my friend? <laughs> and they said what? I don't know. I don't know what they said. Uh, probably a lot of them said, sure, maybe one or two just kind of just, you know, gave you a stiff arm and said no. But, like, it was so easy because we're like, you know what, uh, I want a friend, I need a friend. You, you look like a good friend. Will you be my friend? What if we brought that back? 
Like, I'm, I'm dead serious. What if you found someone that you connected with uh, on a Sunday or in your community group or another follower of Jesus that's in your, at your office and you just said, hey, can we be friends? Can we sit down and talk about Jesus and read the Bible and pray together? And then over time, that's going to grow into probably a beautiful and a fruitful thing. Friendships. So we've got large group gatherings, worship services. We've got small groups, some community groups is what we call it, uh, and then fight clubs or friendships. Uh, and I also want to encourage you, if you have kids that are uh, the, the age uh, of youth, 6th grade to 12th grade, I want to encourage you because we're trying to build a culture now to counteract the effects of the culture that we live in. And so one of the things that we think is incredibly important is for our kids to learn now what it looks like to have good, deep gospel friendships. So we have a youth ministry that's 6th to 12th grade, and the purpose of the youth ministry is not uh, to be the primary discipler of those kids. We believe that's the role and responsibility of the parents, uh, to disciple their kids. But kids need gospel friendships too. My best friend when I was growing up, Case Hubbard, uh, we went to different uh, schools, different high schools, but we went to the same church, uh, and I really attribute a lot of uh, blessings in my spiritual life with having uh, another friend uh, that we were best friends from sixth grade uh, on that we're trying to walk with Jesus together, and our parents were trying to do the same thing. So I want to encourage you, if you've got youth, to get them connected because they're going to need some other kids their age that they're friends, that they're trying to follow Jesus also. And the last encouragement I have for you is to do something today. Uh, do something today. This is how my experience in the church for the last uh, many years has been uh, that a lot of people, they're like, well, I don't know, it sounds uh, like it's going to take a lot of time, uh, maybe some inconvenience, maybe some meals to make some friends to get in a community group, and so they don't do it until they need it, all right? And if you wait to make friends until you need it, it's like insurance. If you wait to get insurance until you need it, guess what? It's too late, <laughs> If you wait to have a friend until life is falling apart, woe to him who is alone. So don't wait till it happens. Invest in it now. Believe God's word that it's not good for us to be alone, that he's, um, by his grace, given us this, uh, this, this, this framework of friendships to navigate together. So do something today. Don't wait until you need it because often by then it's too late. Uh, John chapter 15, I want to close on this because we always want to give Jesus the final word and use his example uh, for us. So John chapter 15, uh, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says something that uh, was very, very staggering to the first century Jewish person of how uh, somebody might interact with the Messiah. This is what he says. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends, right? We know that. Like if you, if, you, if you really love someone, you're going to be willing to sacrifice your life. That's the epitome. That's the pinnacle of love. It's sacrifice. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, I think that would have blown their minds. They, they, there was not a category in their brain to, to, 
to, to put this reality that they are friends with God, that, that Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all creation, has called them friends. And so this is why I want to close on this. Uh, if we go back and look at those five things that we mentioned uh, for just the grace of God for friends in our lives, uh, if you look at those, Jesus is the epitome of all of those. Basically, what we're looking for and why we long for friends and why that's so helpful, they're all shadows of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Number one, Jesus is going to be there during the difficult times. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. What you're desiring for in a friend in difficult season, Jesus fits the bill perfectly. Number two, he'll sharpen you. Like if you just, if you let Jesus in, he will sharpen you. He'll knock off the rough edges, and that's not always an enjoyable process, but it will make us sharper. Number three, his wounds are faithful. He tells the truth. He's like a good surgeon that's very, very precise with his scalpel. He is not going to inflict pain unless it has a purpose. Number four, he will give wise counsel. If you want good counsel, read what Jesus says and obey it. And number five, you can confess your sin to Jesus. And not only will you be healed, but you will be what? Forgiven. Like Jesus is the epitome of the friend that we need. And all good friends, the best friends... They're, they're shadows of Christ and who he is and how he functions as a friend in our lives, uh, but, but they also point us to Jesus. The best friendships that you have will remind you of the gospel, will point you towards Jesus. And so I don't know where you are on this spectrum but I know if you read the Bible, you're going to find that one of the graces of God is for you, if you're on a journey to follow Jesus, uh, it's not a solo sport, it's a team sport, and he really has designed us to be uh, relational beings, to have some friends that help us uh, navigate this life together. So that's what uh, I want to pray towards in this last uh, time that we have together exploring some of these what-ifs. What if? What if we were a church with incredibly deep friendships No one walked alone. No one dealt with difficulties by themselves. No one was so isolated that they were struggling with the effects of sin on their own. We had a family that worked itself from large groups down to small groups down to gospel friendships. Wherever you're at, let me invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes, and let's pray towards that end together. Jesus, you are many things. You're the Lord that has uh, demanded our worship. You're the Savior that has forgiven our sins. And you yourself say that you are a friend to us, that you have called us friends. You've given the type of access um, to lean on you as a, as a true friend. And I'm so grateful just for friends and for friendships. Uh, Father, everyone in the room might not be dealing with loneliness, but someone might be. And so I pray that you would help us to heed the wisdom of Solomon to not be so focused on on tasks or on money or on business that we miss really the thing that uh, makes all those uh, those things worthwhile and so God I just pray that you help us to be friends, help us to find friends that point us to Jesus and encourage us on our journey, we love you Uh, we thank you we praise you We're grateful to call you friends, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us develop and cultivate gospel friends for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.